This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Media Mates Podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. First of all, let me apologise for the last few weeks having not produced a program. I've taken on a couple of new jobs, so it's made it quite difficult and I've had a couple of guests pull out at random stages as well. So that's why we've been missing, but I've been heartened by the amount of emails, tweets, texts that I've received about the program, which just goes to show that there are quite a few people listening and enjoying the podcast. So each week I'll chat to somebody I've met from my career in and around the media industry. All of them have such great stories to tell. I'm not Michael Parkinson or Andrew Denton, but I do enjoy chatting to interesting media people about where they've been, where they're headed next, and everything else in between. My guest today is Brendan Wood from Channel 7. Brendan has worked in media for over 25 years after beginning at 2GB as an 18-year-old in 1991. He spent most of that time working in radio as an announcer, producer and basically jack-of-all-trades across the country, including stints in Sydney, Adelaide, Brisbane, Darwin, Cooma, Newcastle and the Central Coast, before ending up in TV as a social media guru for Seven News. He chats about doing the hard yards in regional radio, using old school techniques to produce content and riding the wave of social media to advance his career. Brendan knows just about everyone in the radio game and nobody would have a bad word to say about him. This is a fascinating chat, so I really hope you enjoy it. Brendan Wood, welcome to the Media Mates podcast. Hello, Ralph. I had listened, I binged, listened to some of your uh, Media Mates podcasts overnight, and you are doing an excellent job. And, uh, and I'm not just saying that because I'm on the podcast, <laughs> but I know I think it's great. I think it's great that, uh, particularly here in Sydney, we've got somebody running around speaking to people who've contributed in a positive way to media in Sydney, whether it's radio or TV. I was surprised to see some big names in there like. Edwina Bartholomew, and that was a good chat as well. And even listening to people like, um, you know, Emma, um, it, it's all about having a positive attitude. And when your chips are down, get back up. And the thing is, I like to consider myself having been in Sydney media for 21 years as being reasonably well connected. But I think you beat me hands down. <laughs> Everybody I know knows you, and you know a whole lot more people. So you've been round the traps for quite some time. I had someone going through my um, my personal phone yesterday with my phone contacts, and I've got to say this: that I actually lost my iPhone in Los Angeles in May this year, or it was actually thrown out in the bin by accident. And so the numbers I've got in there aren't really the last five or six years of numbers; they're just recent numbers. And the person going through it goes, "Oh." You got the number for blah blah, and I'm going. Oh God, here we go. But I, I never name drop, and I never um, talk about that sort of stuff. But yeah, I think it's just the nature of uh, the media industry in Sydney. Everyone gets a chance to see everybody else and has a chat. You don't tell any stories out of um, you know out of line, I suppose. Uh, except when you're on a podcast here. Yeah. <laughs> now you're currently working with Seven News in TV. <laughs> After a fairly extensive career in radio, how are yeah. you finding it from that point of view? Mate, it's great. I'm loving it. I um, was working with the Triple M Grill team up until about maybe just over 18 months ago. Made a decision March in 2015 to have a big change in career. And I thought, where do I want to work? Where do I, you know, where will I go? And I made two phone calls. One was to a guy called Roger Montgomery, who's one of the biggest fund managers in Australia, finance guy. 
I thought I could go over there and maybe help him out with some of his social media because that was the, the area I wanted to go into and I thought he was doing a good job at the time. And the other one was I thought out of all the TV networks, I think uh, Seven News um, could maybe utilise my services in social media. So I didn't know Chris Willis, who at the time was the news director, and I just rang up and said, hi, mate, you don't know who I am. This is my job. I'm working with Triple M with the grill team, and I'm just looking for a change, and this is what I think I can do with your Facebook, your Twitter, your Instagram, and your, your overall sort of social media. And then uh, within a few weeks, I was at Channel 7 working at Martin Place, the 7 News Sydney, uh, focusing on the 6 o'clock bulletin. So anything you see on the, the 7 News Sydney Facebook page or at 7 News, uh, sorry, at 7 News Sydney Twitter account or the at 7 News Sid, S-Y-D, Instagram account, uh, has got my fingerprints on it. So um, our first bulletin starts at 5 a.m. Uh, sunrise is on air from 5.30. We have the 11.30 news. Uh, then we have updates at 2 o'clock and 2.55 during the daily edition. And then uh, we have our 4 o'clock bulletin and then the big 6 o'clock bulletin. Now, you know, I, I'm making sure that we're posting early in the morning. And the reason why we're doing that is because we're posting, like, say, overnight shootings or crimes. I heard you mention, uh, have there been any overnight shootings whenever you went into the newsroom when you're talking to Absolutely. you? And, and you know, there, I reckon there's about, you wake up three times every week in Sydney and there's been an overnight shooting or something strange like that. And the reason why we'll post about that early in the morning and the, the knock-on effect to our 6 o'clock bulletin is that we're posting at 5am or 5.30am because we might have a local resident who'll come in and give us a tip-off that I live in that street or here's a, here's a photo or here's a video, then uh, once we get that lead, we'll pass it on to our COSDES, the Chief of Staff, and then um, it, it might set up a possible lead for that story, which will give great pictures at 6 o'clock at night on 7 News. Now, we'll touch on the social media side of things as we go along through this conversation, but I want to hop in the time machine and, and go back to, yes, to yeah. where it all began and the fascination with media and why yep. you got into it originally and where did where did you actually start? Okay, I'll tell you this. And, and you know what? It's really interesting. A lot of people go, who is Brendan Wood and where has he come from? And it's true. Like, I, I've only been in the, on the Sydney scene for maybe uh, just under 10 years or at least for you know in, in recent times. Uh, prior to that, I was born and bred at Yamina on the Central Coast, uh, went to local Catholic schools there, became the, the school captain when I was at school, had a massive interest in radio. I'd listened to radio when I was like a TUE at the time. You had people like uh, Ian Parry Oakton uh, was doing late nights. I think Philip Adams was doing 7s or 10s. Yeah, yeah. You had Sports Today with Peter Bosley. You then had all those other colourful characters like Stan Zimarnik in and around the station. You had, I think, John Laws on that station as well at the time. And it was a pretty, and I think Mike Carlton was doing breakfast. Uh, that was the, the AM side of things. On the FM side of things, I loved listening to Doug Mulray in the morning. Um, I specifically remember benchmarks like at 6.20 in the morning when I was in year 11 and 12, I'd hear Nana phone up. Oh, oh it's Nana. Yeah. At 6.20 a.m. And so that for me, even before I was in radio, I was understanding the power of a benchmark and whether or not I was running early or late to catch that bus to school that particular day. Um, also listened a fair bit to my local radio station, which at the time was 2GO. Yep. And it went from 13.23 on the AM dial over to 8.01 in stereo, AM stereo. Uh, that happened when I was I think, in year 10. Um, I was listening to the breakfast announcer at the time, was John Kerr, uh, who then went on to be an overnight presenter, mostly overnight presenter at 2UE. Yeah. Um, and I was listening to other people on 2GO, and I was watching them... Uh, 2GO at the time was owned by Wesco, and they would funnel a lot of really good presenters from regional Australia into 2GO, 
and then they take off to 2WS at the time. So I'd see people like Rob Neal come into 2GO as an afternoon announcer and then pop up doing afternoons at WSFM or 2WS at the time. Pete Graham went through there. Doug Mulray went through there. My mum used to listen to Doug Mulray. He was the co-host of the morning show, 9 to 12. It was a music show slash magazine, or they might have called it Women's back then. And I'm talking about like 1984, 85, so it wasn't really – I don't think it's that long ago. It's 30 years ago. Um, And then there was a whole stack of other presenters who went there as well. So I was watching that parade. I went in year 10 and did work experience at 2GO. um, They liked my attitude, and uh, I was given a weekend job to work Saturday night, 6 till 12, on a – uh, like a jukebox 60s show, so it was called... Now, you would have had to get the records out yes, and, you know, yeah. use the carts and all of that <laughs> kind of palaver back then. I reckon I reckon that show was uh, 40% on cart, 60% on, on record, and so I was there, you know, and you'd tie me out to the news and all that, so you're working with a, you're working with a, a presenter... Um, on reel to reel, so he might talk for 18 seconds, and that's your, your you know your live speed break sort of thing. So I did that, and then I uh, at the end of school when I finished at the age of 18, I got to get a job. So I never did schoolies as such, and I went and applied to be a panel operator at 2GB in Sydney. And uh, so during 1991, I was doing that, and then towards the end of 91, after about nine or ten months, they were cutting costs, so they were cutting back shifts, including a poor young kid out of school, me. So who was there then? Who were the presenters in 2GB yeah, so- in 91? I remember uh, John Tingle doing 12 yes. to 4. John... Who then set up the shooter's party after yeah, that. That's yeah, that's what he did, yeah. That's exactly right. And there were rumours around when I was an 18-year-old at this radio station that John Tingle had a gun inside, you know, was always wearing a gun inside his jacket. And I'm going, I don't know if it was true or not. Uh, and then later on he became um, the shooter's party and everything. John Radler, former CNN, was doing 4 to 6. There was a guy called David Kosh at the time, who was phoning in doing finance reports on the station every few hours. And as I left towards the end of 1991, he became the breakfast presenter. And I think the breakfast presenter just prior to that in early 1991 and late 1990 was Stephen O'Doherty. Yes. 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 Famous name in Sydney radio. And then um, I specifically remember working Saturday nights at 2GB and John Pearce was doing talkback. Uh, I remember working Friday nights also. I used to work every Friday and Saturday night at 2GB. Friday nights was um, he just retired from 2GB mid-dawns. Uh, nighttime announcer, he did it for decades on 2GB. Brian Wilshire. Brian Wilshire, yeah. who used to always bring in two Diet Cokes to drink during his shift. I mistakenly took one of those Diet Cokes thinking it was mine. And during the 10 minutes of uh, news at 10 o'clock at night, he was running around with Maureen, his then producer, asking who took Maureen my Diet O'Donnell. Coke. Oh, my Maureen God. Maureen O'Donnell. There we go. <laughs> Maureen O'Donnell, who used to be with Brian for such – was with Brian for such a long time. I can imagine Brian would have been in a tailspin trying yeah. to find out who stole his Diet Coke. <laughs> That's it. Where is it? Who's got it? Who's what got happened? my Diet Coke? What happened to Maureen? Retired. Maureen's retired, yeah. I think she yeah. left Brian 2003. Yeah, right. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. They were a, uh, a nighttime double act, an yeah. institution. But, yeah, there would have been some great memories from, from back then. But you, yeah. you said there was some cost-cutting. There was. Well, nothing, think... nothing, nothing ever changes <laughs> no, in radio right. because it's continued on yeah. for the next 25 years. Yeah, I know. Well, um, I specifically remember before I left 2GB in, I think, June 1991, there was the first uh, leadership spill, uh, well, proposed leadership spill or change of leadership uh, with Paul Keating on uh, Bob Hawke at the time. Yep. And it happened across a weekend from memory. 
And I remember just saying to the then operations manager, do you mind if I just run around with a 2GB microphone at Parliament House and help out our bureau and even maybe record stuff and it could be helpful? And um, so I did that. I remember going down in June 1991, running around and uh, putting the 2GB microphone up at a, a Bob Hawke press conference or a Paul Keating one or whatever it may have been. Front page of the next paper on the Tuesday, because it happened on Monday, was me in the media scrum down at Parliament House. Paul Keating lost that challenge, um, went to the back bench, and I think Bob Hawke... About six or eight months later, yeah. and then, then knocked him off. That's it. So in that case there, I, uh, I eventually left 2GB soon after that, got my first... Because I always wanted to be on air. First on air gig at 2MC in Port Macquarie. Mark, yep. Mark Strawn, who's now still doing the breakfast show up there, and quite a youthful Mark Strawn, gave me the gig. He's was, a legend up there, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he is, mate. And he's, he was... He went to the Max Rowley Media Academy, as they called it. Went to 2GN Goulburn to do maybe a year there and then popped up at 2MC. And he's got the lifestyle sorted up there. He's, he's doing breakfast. He's part of the, the local Surf Life Saving Club. It's all about lifestyle and outdoors. Um, and, yeah, he, he was program director then. I don't know if he's still program director or not or what the situation is. But, you know, I'm always aware that he's up there. He does a great job. He, you know, he's broadcasting from Loriton in the south all the way to Wagooga in the north. Um, and I was there for two years, so um, a person who was then, gen- oh, he's now become, since be- became general manager, I don't know if he's still there now, Mike Crowhurst, I bedded up with him, and uh, he was the production guy at the time. I was on air co-hosting the night show with a um, very talented Sunshine Coast girl called Sue Carter, who's now the program director at uh, Mix 1023 in Adelaide. Right. Um, and It would have been a case back then of you having to do whole lot of stuff because that's it was all hands yeah, on deck at, was, at, uh, at regional radio stations. I'll tell you this: this was I had to do a split shift. I had to um, get up every day, panel John Laws nine till eleven. Then I can do whatever I want at eleven o'clock. And then I had to come back at four o'clock to prepare a show that went to air at seven o'clock at night till midnight. And then once I'd come off here at midnight, I'd have to continue carting the commercials the next day. I'd get home at like one thirty a.m. two a.m in Port Macquarie and then have to turn around, get up at 8 o'clock the next day and ride my bike into to work to get the John Law show. And there were some days there where Mark Strong would go, OK, he'd just do his show at 9 o'clock and leave and push back. And I'd come in and he'd have the card in there for when the John Law show was done. I'd have to hit the button at like 9.05. He's actually 9.04am and go, bang. And I just made it up the stairs and everything. But um, anyway, left there, went to um, Coast Rock FM. Uh, Bob Peters, who was the program director on the Central Coast, back in my hometown. So yep. I was going back there to replace uh, Mike Goldman, who just left the night show. I uh, was handed this night show. It was a Hot 30 countdown model, which was big at the time. Uh, 101.3 Coast Rock FM, it was called. He left it with, from memory, the ratings were 31% at night. and You wouldn't hear about that these no, days. No, that's you know, it. people are struggling to get 7%, 8%. of the audience. So I'm wow. sitting there going, I'm arriving here. Three months after I've arrived in 1993, I've got a radio ratings just about to start, and I'm about to freaking get rolled here. Like, they're, they're going to go, who's Brendan Wood and all that sort of stuff. Ratings came out. I specifically remember it was 36.1%. So I'd gone up Shut like 5%. Up. Yeah, so I remember very arrogantly arrogantly at the time ringing uh, the program director on the Gold Coast, like-minded, uh, you know, a sort of very similar market size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I rang uh, Guy Dobson, Dobbo. I said, hey, Dobbo, I do the night show down here on the Central Coast. I said, I know, you know, at the time they weren't publishing these regional radio ratings for some reason. I said, what are you rating at night on 90.9 CFM? He goes, mate, aren't you a bit arrogant ringing up? <laughs> I can imagine the conversation with Dobbo 
Oh, well, mate. Um, uh. <laughs> so I, I quickly shut down that call and got off the phone. But I ended up staying there for two years. And then I thought I wanted to get off nights. I wanted to do a daytime show. I went to 2XL in Cooma, Snowy Mountains, a radio station owned by Kevin Blyton. Was there for about six months. Took a, a shift at Hot 100 in Darwin. By the way, when I was at 2XL, you know what they do? Oh, Marguerite McKinnon, who at the time was the, the newsreader at 2XL. 2UE? No, 2XL. Oh, oh right, yeah. Well, Marguerite, yeah. I think, might have gone on to 2UE. Yeah, she, she did and then went to Channel 7. Yeah, today, tonight. Anyway, she's having two weeks holiday, so, Brendan, you have to read the news for two weeks. And I specifically remember, uh, you know, doing the news, and I thought, I need news stories. It's, otherwise, it's just the national... Party and you'd never done conference. news before? Never had done news before, but I had an appreciation for news. Obviously, yep. I, when I was at 2GB chasing, you know, Keating versus Hawk and things like that. But um, and I thought, I've got to generate news here. And this is really boring news, just you know, like rewriting National Party media releases and stuff like that. So I'd go into the local courthouse at Cooma and report on all the, the petty crime, things like drink driving charges and things like that over this two-week period. After about three or four days of doing that, the then general manager pulled me upstairs and said, hey, mate. Can you bring up that story you read at 8 o'clock this morning in the local news about drink driver and a name and everything? I said, okay. And he goes, where'd you get this information from? And I said, oh, I was in court yesterday and she got, you know, she's lost her license, whatever it was, for six months or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And this is the reading she had. He goes, mate, can we not run that again? I said, oh, why? He said, oh, just because I might know her. <laughs> and so oh, no. I, here I was, you know, out of my death with no journalism experience actually writing up local course stories. So I was factually allowed to report on this stuff, but it was because it was so close to home to oh. some of the people in Kerma. Clearly he he hadn't heard the broadcast, but he got a few phone calls about it. I was told to stop broadcasting stuff. And when I told Mar- you know, Marguerite when she came back, she goes, she, she was applauding, that's great, you went to the local, you actually went out of, you know. Outside you got your- out of the yeah, building. Right. Oh, wow. That would have been a huge... Huge thing. Yeah. I went to Darwin, uh, Hot 100 Darwin. Then I went back to uh, uh, Coast Rock FM, which then became 101.3 CFM on the Central Coast. Um, and then I, uh, oh, then they 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 made me redundant because I was doing the nighttime show again on CFM, and they wanted to network the CFM uh, night show from the Gold Coast, which was a guy called Big Kahuna or Craig Collette was his name. Uh, but known as Big Hooner on the air. I then went into a producing role, working with Shane McFarlane, um, who passed away about nine months ago, sadly, from uh, a disease or something that he picked up uh, in Perth. Uh, Shane McFarlane and Penny Cooper. Lasted about maybe eight months with them there, and then uh, Jeff Alice rang up from Melbourne and said, Mate, I want you to move from that joint venture in Canberra. I want you to go to Adelaide. So I worked at SAFM in Adelaide as a producer for Amanda Blair and Paul Gale's show. Amanda's quite the, the legend in Adelaide, yeah? She is. She's uh, in very high maintenance, and I think she would agree with that as well. Um, what made her so difficult to work for? Look, I, I can just tell you what I witnessed. She was a Melbourne girl who was discovered by Jeff Alice in Melbourne. She would pop up on the Richard Stubbs breakfast show occasionally. I think initially she went in there to promote her book. She was a writer or something. Right. They liked what they heard, this one-off appearance with Richard Stubbs. They got her in on an r- irregular basis on Triple M Melbourne. Jeff Alice rang up and said, we've got an offering for you at SAFM Adelaide. She went there. So when we would come off the air at 9 o'clock Adelaide time, she would phone Jeff Alice with a debrief on the show. So by about, say, 9.30 or 9.45 Adelaide time, which was when we are going to start our local meeting at SAFM, you would have the then program director, Phil Dowse, coming into our breakfast meeting after trying to put in a sneaky phone call to Jeff Alice to say, what did Amanda tell you today? What's the issues? And so then you would have this very complex meeting where it was just Phil Dowse trying to manage 
um, you know, the any issues that might have come out of that particular show with Amanda Blair. It was a highly... Those know, stories are quite legendary, aren't they? Oh, like the, yeah. the run-ins with Amanda Blair. And I think, yeah. you know, at certain stages there, James Brayshaw actually worked on that, did, on that show. He, he did our sport. He was excellent. He came down from the Adelaide Hills every day. His sport was on air at, from 6.30am every half hour, 6.30 all the way through to 8.30. I specifically remember him coming to the show at 10 past 8 for Battle of the Sexes up against Amanda Blair. Because that was a thing back yep. in the day as well. Yep. And uh, I remember one day him coming in and they said, um, Laura Chillingirian was the newsreader at SAFM, and she said, Sport Now with James Brayshaw. And he goes, and in sport, he just plays a song. It was some, I don't forgot what the song was. It went for about 30 seconds. That's sport, I'm James Brayshaw. And then the whole morning crew was called. So I said, what was that? He goes, oh, I was pulled over by a copper on the way in and he said, can you play a song for me this morning? <laughs> he got off some charge. I don't know what it was. Some maybe driving charge or something. But he was excellent. Like, he was thinking out of the box all the time. And he was a bit of a superstar down there. I think he'd just come out of uh, local Retired cricket. Retired from cricket yeah. for South Australia, having That's played it. for Western Australia. But yeah. one of those guys, I think, and you would have seen it working close hand, is yeah. just had a really innate ability to connect with the audience and tell stories, yeah. okay? Because that's what it's all about. It yeah. would have been a transitional phase where back in the day a whole lot of skits would have been done, but then mm. it's sort of the tide turned in, in radio yeah. to being personal experiences and telling that's stories it. about your life yeah. rather than the whole manufactured comedy yeah. thing. And JB well, obviously is has made a, a great career yeah. out of doing just that. Yeah, exactly right. And he was he was excellent. Uh, I love working with him. I left there after three months, and they, Osterio at the time, moved me to B105 Brisbane, which for me, between you and me, because I'm a rugby league guy, I just thought it was the bees and knees. I'm going to Brisbane, the heart of Maroon Territory. They're passionate about their rugby league here. It's all about state of origin. For me, I saw uh, Brisbane as like a bigger version of Newcastle, so coming from the Central Coast, a lot warmer. Um, it was sunnier up there, perfect one day, whatever the next. And um, ended up working at B105. I worked with, as the executive producer of the morning crew for about three years with uh, the hosts, were, the, the anchor was Ian Skippen, yep. Jamie Dunn, a.k.a. Agro, and at the time, Robin Bailey. And um, So what was that like for you? Because, mate, you know, that was another show which yeah. was off the charts in terms of its ratings. Yeah. We, we, we were rating at the time, like high 20s. Grant Tothill, under his uh, leadership as program director, we got it to mid-30s, even high 30s, I think, at some stages. I specifically remember it getting very high, the ratings getting very high when he introduced the secret sound. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Well, what's next? Traffic and weather together? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, but, it, like, it was a very different show. It went from being... This, you know, we're trying to establish a show at SAFM in Adelaide and we've gone through seven producers before I arrived at SAFM to this established show at B105, the B105 Morning Crew, that was just high risk, inspired people like Kyle Sanderlands. Agro would do things like... we. It, we gave the impression that Agro would be phoning, for example, Mark War on the Ashes tour to wish him happy birthday. So I would dig around, and, and you know what it's like dealing with Cricket Australia's media people now. They just wouldn't. Oh, not you'd just allow ring it. hotel rooms yeah. and just get it's, the number for where they were staying, and just ring around every single room until you found it. That's him. exactly right. So you know, at six a.m. Uh, Brisbane time, which might have been seven or eight o'clock at night in uh, London, you'd just ring and ask for front reception, Mark War, please hold the line, so I'll put you through. Agro would go, hello, it's Agro, Mark, it's your birthday. And he'd just get a guitar out and sing happy birthday to Mark Wall. At the end, Mark Wall heard the happy birthday and just goes, he goes, what do you think? 
goes bye. And just hung up. But we would do that. Like I'd go through the um, the Jocks Journal, I think, at the time, and just go, whose birthday is it today? So maybe once or twice where you do things like, let's get aggro to phone this person. You do aggro's the rescue, which for me um, taught me a lot about um, uh, the, the generosity, you know, of. Uh, and Oprah Winfrey has done it for many, many years as well. You know, being generous on your TV show, it's a wonderful sort of mechanism to, to inject into a, into a radio show along with the comedy which is a massive thing. You know, people say when they, they switch the radio on in the morning, they, they just want an information update, they want comedy, they want traffic, and they want a show that they can engage in. And that show was very, very Brisbane, very, very Queensland. Ian, uh, you know, Ian Skippen was excellent as a, as a host, had a great attitude, learned a lot off him as well. Um, he always, and it's interesting, he always said he wanted to go to Sydney and, and give it a go. Uh, Jamie Dunn did. Uh, he only lasted um, maybe a year with Wendy Harmer on the breakfast show down here. Um, and he says that, you know, he said, you're better off, Brendan. He said, the thing I learned about that was I'm better off being a big fish in a small pond, which is Brisbane, than being a small fish in a big pond, which is Sydney. And he said, um, I don't think, if you talk to Jamie, he never got along well with Wendy or vice versa. I don't know what happened there. There was some sort of falling out. Um, and at the time, Jamie Dunn was big with Agro because Agro would fill in on the Steve Izard Tonight Live show and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Um, when I arrived, which was um, 1998, I don't think Agro was doing as well. In fact, Steve Izard may have been off air by then. So, yeah. But the legend of Agro was massive. So, thoroughly enjoyed my time in Brisbane. Met a lot of really good Brisbane people there as well. I love living up there as well. So, um, what did you find was the, the main difference in terms of okay, you had to do a, a bit of a career shift where yeah. you had those ambitions to sort of be on air and you're on air in a number of stations around the country, but then slotting into that uh, producer role, which, in all fairness, and I've done a, a bit of it through my career, is that you get a great buzz out of producing something for someone else, but you don't necessarily get the accolades that, that perhaps mm. the performers do but like yeah. I was never precious about anything anything like that and I'm no. sure you're yeah. pretty much pretty much the shame what did you find the the main differences were between being the on-air guy or the yeah. jock and then becoming the I guess the brains behind the yeah. the operation the enjoyment I got out of producing was delivering like the energy that I would bring to a radio show as a presenter I channeled that into organizing great interviews because I might be working in a Canberra sized market but who's to say we can't get the Prime Minister on, a, on air on an FM station or uh, in Brisbane you know um, okay we you know Let's say um, at the time it might have. Let's say Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen has landed in Australia to do a PR tour, and normally what they would do, Bruce, Bruce Springsteen would go, "Okay, I'll do Sydney media today. Then I'll fly to Melbourne. I'll do Melbourne media, including Rove or something like that." And I'd ring up Triple M's producer in Sydney or you know Today FM at the time and say, "Hey, is Bruce Springsteen coming into Triple M or Today FM?" Yeah, yeah, he's coming Monday 9am. I said, "Mate, can you? I'm just going to make a few phone calls. I'm going to try and do a landline into Brisbane." So I beat local media. So it's all about competition. I love competition. I love marketing. So what I would do is I'd get Bruce Springsteen, for example, on a Monday at 9:40. We would then promo at Bruce Springsteen on the B105 Morning Crew Tuesday at you know 7:20am or whenever yeah. it was. You drive the appointment time. What that would do is it would have that by the time Bruce Springsteen came to Brisbane or got around to Brisbane, which might have been Thursday or Friday or the next week, we'd beaten our opposition and it makes them sound, made them sound like half a week old or even a week old on, yep. on their promos and stuff like that. So the buzz that I get out of, um, got out of producing was that I was making somebody else look good and also building a brand, like building a, continuing, you know, helping to build the B105 Morning Crew or in the case in Sydney, build the, 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 the Triple M Grill team. Um, and, you know, there are some 
big interviews over the years. I was talking to someone only just the other day that Rosie Batty, for example, is everywhere. You go to social media, she's all over the place and she's dial quote, almost dial quote now. But I managed to get her on air on the Triple M Grill team when she wasn't dial quote and it was literally the day after her son had been sadly murdered. And I um, made the decision because I was watching the news the night before and she gave a very emotive but powerful and lengthy press conference outside her house, which appeared on the, the news the night before. Yeah. And I thought, I might just find out where she is and I'll look up the white pages and just give her a call. And um, I phoned her two or three times. She didn't answer. Then she eventually answered at about 10 past eight. I said, Rosie, I said, um, I was Mrs. Miss Batty. I didn't know what her first name was. I said, I just saw you on the news last night. I work at a radio station in Sydney. We're about to talk about your son, and I'm wondering if you'd come on air and just talk about who your son was and you know what his aspirations were going to be and everything. That ended up resulting in about a 20 to 25 minute powerful live to air interview on Sydney radio. And you know the knock on effect is that you get it right on radio or breakfast radio, for example. The knock on effect is that it, it looks great on your online. Uh, you get great talk, talking points throughout the day, and other yeah. people pick up on it. Yeah, that's it. So those who may not have even heard your radio show that day through some means, whether it's social media or website or maybe a promo that they might stumble across later in the day, they go, oh, jeez, I can't miss that show because they do out-of-the-box stuff and just might phone someone. The knock-on effect there, though, unfortunately, was I every sort of high-profile murder in Australia for the next six or seven weeks. I'd have my boss going, oh, can you get that victim's... You know, That's the, the problem. You deliver something yeah. and then there's that expectation every time there's a, a, a breaking story yeah. around that particular subject that you're expected to deliver on every occasion. Yeah. It doesn't quite work that way and it doesn't have the same effect as the first time yeah. that it happens. No, that's it. You it know? Sort of, look, I just, I'd say to the guys, look, I can make the call. It's like a death knock or, you know, we've got to make the, the door knock if you're a, a crime reporter or whatever. And I said it. You know, some, sometimes it's slightly inappropriate to do it. I just got the impression with this person, I was watching Rosie Batty the night before on TV and thought there might be an in there for us. And I do know the next day, well, I heard overnight, Melbourne media, radio, were um, very upset that some producers in uh, Melbourne hadn't Done it. looked up the white pages and made the phone call and asked if she was available for an interview. Obviously, there's been a rush since then. Everybody's like, got to get all over Rosie Batty and, uh, and she ended up becoming Australian of the Year and the rest is history. A lot is to be said for those old school skills. And we've spoken about this a number of times on the podcast is that using your initiative yeah. and, and going behind the scenes. You mentioned it there with Mark, Mark Ward, the things that we had to do yeah. back in the day to get content to air, you know, even as simple as something what Roger White mentioned, that you had to bring up the scoreboard to get the cricket <laughs> scores. And people of these days with the yeah. internet wouldn't understand nah. the chase to get such a good yarn yeah, on the yeah, on the yeah. wireless. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where, where now it's just like punch, punch, punch into Google. Like, yeah. And you had to rely on an old school technique to, yeah. to get Rosie Batty in the day of modern social media where it just seems everybody's got a Twitter account, everybody's got a LinkedIn account, everybody's got a Facebook I'll, I'll account. I'll tell you this. And yep. it's, it's, it's easy to do, but yep. if you've come from a, a different generation where you've had to use, you know, a bit of nous, a bit of cunning, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. there's nothing more exciting than that. I'll tell you the other one, another tip, because I don't use it anymore because I don't necessarily uh, trawl around trying to get phone numbers to get interviews as much. But two other tips. One is... Um, I remember doing this uh, at 97.3 FM in Brisbane, an ARN radio station. I worked with a guy called Chris Haig, who was the assistant producer on the show I was doing. And uh, he goes, how did you know to call that garbage company or the removalist company to speak to them about 
being a witness to an explosion that occurred. It was a terror-related item in uh, London at the time. I said, oh, have a look around. What, what can you find? You've, you're, you're looking at the exact same information I'm looking at, which is the Courier-Mail newspaper or the Australian. He couldn't find it. What it was, when the explosion went off, there was a removalist truck or a garbage truck right next to where the explosion occurred. On the back of the truck was the the, phone the, the, the mobile phone number. And he just dialed up and, oh, here you go. Can you help us out? He goes, oh, well, you know, I wasn't there, but I'll give you the driver's number. You know what they're like. They just give them. Yep. There's no media policy with, you know, truck drivers. They just hand out numbers and away you go. But um, I'm just trying to think what the other one, uh, the other technique we use. Oh, the other one, in 2016, I found a lot of people are too busy relying on Google to hunt down victims or witnesses or whatever. A lot of people aren't using whitepages.com.au because it's just so far off our radar and it's so very 1990s yep. that no one's using it. But um, that is also a great source. Um, I remember hearing Bruno Boucher, um, who is a former colleague of mine in Sydney and Brisbane, and he was doing an interview somewhere. Actually, he was doing a presentation at the time for Osterio and just said to this group of um, you know producers that had been brought around from the nation into Sydney for a big um, one-day um, event, and he just said, look, I, I actually collect White Pages phone books, the actual hard copy versions, because you never know, you might have a victim or a witness that, you know, might have made their phone number silent now, so you can't get the number now. But guess what? They appeared in the 2014 edition of the Sydney White Pages or whatever. I don't know if he still does it, but it sounded very impressive at the um, presentation. So let's go back to, to Brisbane. How did it all Bris- end up Bris- there? Bris- Brisbane taught me a lot. Brisbane was great from a radio point of view because what happens is in Sydney, and I think you've witnessed it as well, you'll have something go really wrong, like a, um, a prank call or phone call or whatever, and then all of a sudden the lawyers come in stifle the creativity go back you know 10 years ago when i was in brisbane the lawyers are like one city away from um from where we are so you could get away with stuff a little bit edgier and a little bit riskier you know phoning mark war up live to air and seeing happy birthday to him for example in sydney just would not happen you've you've got a person without his permission on radio uh, going to where he's even hung up the phone at the end, which is sort of giving you a pretty good indication that he doesn't want to be on radio for a birthday call or whatever, which, you know, means you can't put the call to air as such. But in Brisbane, and I think in some of the other markets as well, whether it's in Adelaide or a, a Perth to a certain extent, there's a lot more creative radio going on. So I enjoyed being part of that whole process. Um, there were things that I learned up there as well, like, you know, Andrew Denton was doing his TV show on ABC TV on Monday nights at the time and he'd do the rounds on a Monday morning, this is after his radio show, and he'd be phoning into various radio stations trying to do the PR trail and, and drum up viewers for that night's program. And I'd do things just to upset Triple M in Brisbane at the time when I was working at 97.3 where I'd go, ah, I noticed every Monday morning at 10 past 8 Andrew Denton's appearing on Triple M. So I'd ring ABC TV publicity and I'd go, I want him at 7.55. And then after about two or three weeks, I noticed that uh, Triple M would move him to, to 7.40. I go to ABC Publicity, I want to move him to 7.20. <laughs> and so, um, and, and then what I would do is once he goes there at 7.20, we'd bang out a few little um, mini uh, sweepers or promos to go, earlier today, Andrew Denton said this. Or, First time. Yeah, that's oh, right. Yeah. Or we'd even, um, later in the program, we'd uh, replay Denton at 8.40 if he was good enough or whatever. But um, I was able to... Um, to do a lot of, I actually was the executive producer, executive producer of two radio shows that were going out at the exact same time every day, Monday to Friday. So it was the 97.3 FM breakfast show, and it was also the 4KQ breakfast show. And um, the, the the power of that from a from a an on air point of view was I could ring Channel Nine publicity and say, at the time you'd have someone like um, what's his name, that gardener uh, Jer- uh, Jamie. 
Jury. Yep. At the time, he was big or whatever. He might, uh, he, you know, he'd be coming to Brisbane. I'd ring up Nine Publicity and say, look, bring him over to 4KQ and 97.3. I can give you one hour on the air on two stations. We can promote it beforehand and afterwards or whatever. I can promise this to you, whereby if you go across the road to Nova, they're going to suck up an hour of your time. He's only going to get... You know, half hour or twenty minutes on the air. That's right. At least I can hit two stations with one here. So I learned a lot about that there. Then um, ARN moved me out of Brisbane uh, down to Sydney. There were talks at the time with the national program director. He wanted me to replicate the same model where I was EP over two shows in Sydney. At the time, it was um, WSFM and Mix One Hundred Six Point Five, and I talked him through the pros and cons of being able to do that in a market the size of Sydney and we settled on Mix 106.5 which at the time was um, on air presented with Sammy Power and they just brought in a guy called Subby Valentine. Center okay, so we replaced Jason Bowman at that stage? Yeah, Jason had left maybe six months beforehand. There'd been a fallout the year beforehand with some secret sound that, that went off that, but no one knew at the time and they somebody had said the correct answer and then Days later, somebody else had said the correct answer and won, and the, the first person around said, hey, what about me? I said it a few days ago. He never gave me the, the money. It might have been about $10,000 or something. So there was a few issues around the show. That show, the, the, the Sammy uh, Power and Subby show, lasted about a year. The, the, the anchor of that show was uh, Lars Peterson. And then we brought in um, Sonia Kruger and Todd McKenney. Right, okay. And was Alan Bruff involved in that show as well yes, with Subby? Yes, he was. Yeah, yeah he yeah, was. Yeah, yeah he was. Uh, I think actually Alan Bruff was sort of on his way out when I arrived or something. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, remember yeah, something yeah. about that. Yeah, they went through yeah. so many weird reincarnations of that show, trying to get the same sort of feel that the Sammy and Jason show, which, yeah. you know, in, in fairness to it, was a reasonable rating show, and then it all sort of went pear-shaped after that yeah, and then right. well, could never know, recover. You know who was consultant at ARN at the time on our breakfast shows was uh, Brad March. He was former CEO right. of Osterio. Yes. So he came over to ARN. So he, I think he was the guy that was bringing in your Alan Bros and your Subby Valentines and things like that. Um yeah, Sonia Kruger, Todd McKenney, they did the breakfast show for about a year. I bailed at the end of November, maybe 2008 from memory. Ended up having six months off um, from radio, and I actually thoroughly enjoyed that. In the background with all this, I was uh, developing my NRL touch-judging career. Yes, I was going to so- say, our paths first crossed when you were in charge of Sonia and Todd, and unusually for an executive producer at that particular stage... You used to come in for like half a day on Sundays, like quite regularly, and it was like, what's this guy doing in here? Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's like Monday to Friday, but like, I want to point out the fact that like, that's how much you were invested in the show was yeah, that, yeah. you know, and Bruno used to come in quite often as well, and you yeah. used to have like conversations there, me yeah. sitting in the newsroom that I was like party to about the show that's and all it. these kind of exactly. things that you're doing, yeah. but it's not just get in there early and people think that breakfast producers might knock off at like you know lunchtime no 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 that's not the case they quite often get in at three or four in the morning and be leaving at three or four in the afternoon and as you were doing coming in on weekends to put prep in for the show but um yeah you're right it was um but it was a massive show and i wanted it to work and not just that show but every show i've been on i've always wanted it to work it's like um you know and yeah they might say you know your, your job is monday to friday nine to five but I just want to win and I want to beat everybody. Um, so, which partly might be the reason why I took six months off radio. But the six months off radio for me was very good because 
I was able to just sit there and go, what's this thing, Twitter, that's coming out of the US? Everyone's getting excited about. And blogs were around and everything. I'm going, I wonder if you can monetize this. And I ended up just doing some uh, website, websites on the side. I did like a, 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 my own audio podcast at the time. Can you make money online? I'd go around and interview people like Mia Friedman. She was a, like a one-person blogger at the time. It started up Mamma Mia. I'd go and interview, I don't know, there were about 50 people I interviewed who were all blogging. And I'd randomly catch up with them. Now, I learned a lot about the power of online from them, um, which sort of points to where I am today, I suppose. Um, but I'm a radio guy, you know, and I enjoyed radio. And I could just see some of the learnings that I had from radio that we could use online, a bit like you with podcasting, all the learnings you've had in radio you bring to this podcast and you've got a, a good sense of timing or a good sense of how it should fit and how long it should go or whatever and how it should be presented. Um, and then I ended up, uh, by chance, getting a job back in radio because historically I'd been known as a producer in Queensland, but I was known as yep. an on-air presenter in Sydney. So um, I rang up a mate of mine who was then general manager of New FM purely because I wanted to speak about something else. I was driving back uh, from Queensland, and I said, oh, I'm just listening to New FM at the moment, and I asked a few questions. He goes, mate, I need someone to work Saturday morning. Can you come on air and do 6 till 12 on New <laughs> FM? This is on a Thursday. And I go, yeah, I'll, I'll drop in now and say good day. Before I knew it, I was doing like casual shifts on uh, New FM. Then Mike Duncan, the then program director at uh, DMG Radio at Star FM on the Central Coast, got wind that I was back on the air. He goes, mate, i got someone to, I need someone to fill in to read the news on Star. Can you do that for me? So I'm, here I was uh, doing all those. And then um, KOFM knew I was floating around as well, which, was an aus- which is an austereo station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they met with me and said, look, we want you on KO. We don't want you on UFM and all this stuff. And I said, look, I don't want nice to work. Nice to be in demand. Yeah, that's right. I said, I don't want to work in Newcastle. I want to work in Sydney. Got a phone call then from Triple M in Sydney. So I ended up doing, I specifically remember for almost half of the year, I was would wake up every morning to do a new FM breakfast show. I'd anchor that with Steve St. John and Sarah Levitt. And then I would be on air on either Star 104.5 on the, in Gosford or I'd be on here on Triple M from midday till four in Sydney. And then I'd go to football training at night at six o'clock and then turn around and do it again. I was living in Sydney but doing that drive every day. The end of that year came and then I got a full-time job with the Triple M grill team. But it was... Um, but, 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 but in around all that, I had a lot of social media that I was sort of involved in. Like I'd set up the, the new FM Facebook account and I'd be tweeting this and doing that for them as well. And then I also got a uh, like a part-time sort of job with uh, Media Week where I'd be a freelancer yeah, once yeah, a week. Yeah. And I'd be, um, you know, I just said to James Manning, the editor of that Media Week magazine, I said, you know, if you want to, I said, you should get yourself on Twitter at the moment and you should get yourself into it. Well, he was he was wanting to do the podcast. This is a great opportunity to promote your brand. You're not going to make money out of the podcast. No. But Twitter and this podcast together can just create noise about your brand. So people might go, oh, there's a, me- a magazine out there. And, and he was saying he had a lot of people who weren't aware that the uh, the Media Week magazine existed because it was really only... It was a bit executives. of an institution within the industry, but nowhere else. No, that's it. And it was really only executives who... Like, I'd, I'd see it in radio stations. You'd, they'd buy one copy of the Media Week magazine and you'd have a list, a, a staple to the front of the magazine and it'd go, general manager, sales director, you know, program director, and they'd all tick it off as they've read it. Radio it suits on. were big in that yes. field. But not they necessarily were. personalities. No, but you managed to bring the personalities along to the, yeah. the podcast before podcasts became what they are now, which yeah. is really trendy. Because, you know, for me, and I'll put it all into sort of simple terms, is that the podcast was the thing that 
radio stations used to put out yeah. when you used to have to connect your iPod to the computer and download the podcast of the show, which was essentially the show but without yeah. the ads and the news and all of that kind of thing, right. which I think yeah. what most people used yeah. to think of it as until, okay, the barrier to entry became a whole lot cheaper and yeah. easily put together with the advent of, of iPhones and then also Bluetooth in cars and then yeah. all of a sudden, hold on, light bulbs were going up all over the place. This is a whole lot easier to, number one, produce and number two, consume. But yeah. you were kind of ahead of the curve in, in many respects yeah. in getting these great guests on the yeah. podcast. And, and, you know, I specifically remember um, I would turn up, media would say, oh, Brendan, um, Carl Stefanovic is going to introduce Richard Wilkins on stage because Richard Wilkins has a new book. It's his book launch. So I'd go along and I'd just stand there with a recorder almost like the one you're holding there and I would record... Carl and Richard on stage. There was one particular night where Carl had had a few drinks at this at this particular uh, book launch, and he started mentioning the size of uh, Richard's, you know, member, and uh, that ended up becoming a, a, like a front page headline or something yes. the next day and everything. And and that audio was exclusive to Media Week because I was there as a guest of Media Week. Although I've recorded, we ended up using it on Triple M as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. The grill team, but. Um, and I remember at the time the Telegraph stole the audio and they put it up on their website, sent them a tax invoice to pay for my freelance rate and they still have yet to pay for that bill. <laughs> How important was that for you to just ride that wave, that early wave of social media and bring it to radio as a way yeah. of, as you said before, building the brand for the, the radio station or the, or yeah. the show that you're associated with because you could obviously see that there was a big buzz around at the time and people weren't quite sure how to use social media and there was lots of experimentation in terms of okay what's the best effective way to to promote the brand and get it out there before you know facebook became a public company and started changing the rules and the algorithms and that everything else because in the early days it was a free-for-all in terms of promotion provided you got enough likes and shares and all of those kind of things which you know, as I've said, was quickly woken up to once yeah. Facebook became public. Well, I, I specifically remember when I was working at Mix 106.5 with the Sonny Kruger and Todd McKinney show that in about 2008, I think it was, it, it was uncool for people on Facebook to like brands and, and like businesses and radio shows, for example, or radio stations. It's all about connections with your friends, That's right? That's right, exactly. And it was all my, I wouldn't say it was discouraged, but I remember specifically, if you go back through my Facebook page in that year, I've got photos of Sonia Kruger and Tom McKinney in the studio with guests yeah. or whatever, and it's like, now in 2016, you would not put that on your personal page unless you were involved in the story or the photo or whatever, You'd, or taking a selfie with the, the star, you would have that photo on the Mix 106.5 Facebook page or the or the radio you know, show Facebook page. But um, when I arrived at Triple M with the Grill team, I specifically remember that in, in and around the show, because that we just hired maybe six months after I arrived, Maddie Johns replaced Stewie McGill. So we're all thinking, how are we going to promote the fact that Maddie Johns, um, who has a high profile in the NRL, is a retired NRL player, how are we going to promote the fact that he's coming here? There was money, some money available for a TV commercial and a billboard campaign maybe, but we also saw that the, the possibly the cheapest and most cost-effective way of advertising this was via our social media. So... Uh, there was a strategy around, you know, saying Maddie Johns is with us uh, on our, you know, Facebook page and, and Twitter account. Specifically, remember talking to somebody about a year on after Maddie arrived that you can see a, 
a specific spike in you know in engagement in our in our social. But that was also an all-encompassing integration policy as well in terms of okay, you used us in the newsroom as well. Well, I in conjunction with Dan Ganane copped onto the fact that okay. Matty Johns has got a bit of a profile out there. Anything that he says is half-pie controversial or half-pie opinionated. And Matty, to his credit, never afraid to push an opinion out there, which was radio gold for us in the newsroom, which then you could leverage on social channels by saying, Matty Johns says Todd Carney is on the drink. Yeah. Boom, out there. And then all of a sudden, okay, it's on the grill team. It's also in the news, which was... Pretty much unheard of in those days to use your presenters to leverage opinion. And then those grabs were then on social channels. So it had this really strong magnification effect across all properties within the Triple M network. And I'll tell you now, that was copied not just in uh, Sydney, but or that, that strategy was not just in Sydney, but also in Melbourne with Eddie Maguire, who just joined the Triple M uh, breakfast show. And Brisbane there. as well with Marto yeah, to a Marta lesser degree. doing rugby union, that's right. So, um, But what I noticed was um, in Melbourne, they, they I remember talking to the digital guy down there at the time, he was saying, oh, this is like a few months on, he said, we're just pulling back on doing Eddie Maguire says blah, blah about the other AFL team because it was creating... Other issues for Eddie Maguire when he's working in and around his AFL network, um, because he's also the president of you know Collingwood um, and things like that. So, uh, but with Matty Johns, all he did, he just said, "Okay, I know that when I say this comment on air at seven fifty a.m., it's going to be amplified on all the digital channels and on promos later in the day. We'll get replayed on, you know, the Triple M Rush Hour, which is a sports show at night, or it might get replayed on a Saturday morning with uh, Dead Set Legends with Ray Warren, and everyone else has this knock-on effect with commentary about it." So um, you'd see someone like Matty a few months on, he cottoned on to that, and he just said, okay, I'll just temper my thoughts here and my comments, because if I say it here, it will get reprinted everywhere on all the Triple M digital channels, get replayed, but it'll also appear online, because, you know, in a, in a subtle way, when we're using our social media channels, it's an opportunity to tell newspapers and TV news outlets that, you know, here's a quote on our tweet that says, Mark Guy thinks blah blah about whatever issue or Matty Johns thinks about whatever and then you'd get you'd see it later on our tweet would either be embedded in a news online article or be quoted later in the day or you get a journalist would ring up from the Daily Telegraph online and say can you send us that whole three minute interview that Matty Johns has done with whoever big name NRL star Um, so I've always used social media I'm aware of the power of uh, using social media as a pseudo publicity vehicle for, uh, for a brand um, and I, In many ways, yeah. it's considered a bit lazy journalism, but I kind of think if you know that that's going to happen, yeah. why not use it to your advantage? Because, again, I go back to the whole back-in-my-day uh, scenario, that wouldn't be used. And a whole lot of Twitter or a, um, a collation of, of Twitter of fans are in up in arms about the dress such-and-such wore at the Oscars yeah. is now a thing. Do you know what I mean? Whereas back in the day, that wouldn't be a thing. And and to talk about even going back even further to your former colleague, Sonia Kruger, and her comments about Muslims a couple of months ago, that wouldn't have been a thing 10 years ago. No, no. You've got to remember, too, Facebook has amplified a lot of that now. Facebook is massive. Uh, Like, you see see that amplification or the outrage on Twitter, which is mostly led by left-wing 
people. So if they don't like something, say Kyle has said, it's mostly the left-wingers that are coming who would never listen to his radio show anyway. But when it, when it comes to Facebook and it's those um, comments about you know Muslim immigration, you see it with Donald Trump as well, they're mostly amplified. They might start on Twitter, but they get highly amplified in uh, Facebook because on Facebook you have more of the average person on there. You have the mums and dads. You have everybody's on Facebook. And the, the thing is... You know, if I see it here in Western Sydney, a lot of people are, um, they don't realise it, but they're pretty right wing. And I don't think they realise that they are. So when they come out and say, you know, we like Sonia did, you know, we have to stop Muslim or, you know, reassess Muslim immigration, by saying that, it, it's actually a right wing comment. And then the left wing people find out about it. And uh, with the Facebook algorithm, it, a lot of oh, these mate, comments it's, go it's, straight to it's all it's, it's, it's all aboard the outrage machine. Yeah. And then it bubbles <laughs> along for a couple of days. Yeah. And before you know it, a thing that's not necessarily a thing yeah. has now just Blind got up. out of control. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, part of me understands it and part yeah. of me thinks, why are we actually embracing this? Mm because it's made its way into the public domain via social networks. And I feel as though we're becoming dumber because of... Going around in circles? Yes. I think you're right. But you know what? Sometimes I see uh, the end result is people are learning that maybe you can't say certain comments out in public and and there are bigger issues with it. Donald Trump hasn't learned that lesson. He just says whatever he thinks. And um, uh, it'll be interesting. If he does become president, I wonder if he'll get into the White House and people will say, Donald, just be aware the knock-on effect if you do build a wall or the knock-on effect if you do stop all Muslim immigration. We're actually not allowing certain people in the country that are bringing millions of dollars or whatever. There'll be a rethink, I think, on his on his messaging and what he's doing. But I will say this, the, the, the trolling that we've seen on Twitter and then the trolling we then saw on Facebook with all this stuff enabled Instagram to sneak up in the last three to four years. Uh, you know, you would have seen it from an NRL yep. point of view. Players gave up on Twitter and Facebook. They're going, I'm not going there because it's the trolling that goes on. They all started posting on Instagram. There'd be times even when I was at the girl team. Controlling go, the message, too. Yeah, that's it. I'd go, oh, didn't even think about Instagram for uh, Todd Carney, you know, popping up a photo of him in Bali or something, hanging out with Jared Hayne. You know, you're sort of looking on Twitter or Facebook for that sort of stuff. You go, oh, wait there. Todd Carney is around. He's actually in Bali. Oh, that's headline news now. And, um, Instagram in itself is its own beast nowadays too, you know. Um, it's a massive beast. And, and you know, they've, they've just introduced uh, stories to Instagram, trying to take on um, Snapchat. Snapchat, yeah. Uh, Snapchat's big as well with kids, um, bigger than what you and I... Well, see, that's the, that's the thing also is just like, well, you know, the millennials had discovered that, okay, mum and dad are slowly starting to cop on to Facebook and Twitter and, yeah. you know, they can follow me and they can follow me on, on Instagram, but... Yeah. I do my sneaky Snapchats. Mum and Dad don't know about that, you know, kind of thing. So it's all about trying to stay a a step ahead. And, I mean, as I sort of said before, you were one of these early embraces that understood not only the amplification but also just the the sheer power of it in in order to promote a brand. And I'm sure it's, it's similar how you managed to do your work with seven news as well as you sort of yeah. mentioned mentioned earlier and i guess it's this, the same part of it is getting the positive message across too so yeah. one of the first things you did when you you came to the triple m grill team we were going through that 
really extensive period of, of natural disasters. And we had the, the mm. Queensland floods mm-hmm. and MG came up with the idea of hosting a, a, a Legends game. And yeah. you were able to use your uh, wherewithal in, in, in that situation and, and get that off off the ground and using social mo- media in a, in a very positive way. Yeah, that's right. That was um, That's the interesting issue to remind me about that. It was the Queensland floods. Uh, MG had a very was up there uh, from memory and had a very passionate phone call with uh, one of the fathers who lost a, a child just west of Brisbane. Uh, and MG said, we need a state of origin game on him. We put on a New South Wales-Queensland uh, old boys uh, game, managed to sell out Parramatta Stadium. 350 thousand dollars was donated by people who attended that game or went around the game. In excess perform live and yeah, a that's whole exactly lot of stuff. Right. Yeah, and you're right. And... We, and you know, and we used, um, our, you know, we, I had to book all the, the talent as well, New South Wales players and Queensland players. It became a, a massive, um, massive game. And to the point the NRL, when I rang them, they weren't interested in the game at all. But on the eve of the game, I got a phone call from the corporate affairs uh, person at the NRL. She said, you don't know who I am, but this is my role. I liaise with state governments and I liaise with uh, the federal government. Do you mind if we invite the prime minister along to the game? And um, and do you mind if David Gallup, the CEO, comes along as well? You know, it's a sh- we want to showcase the, the, the rugby league community and what they can do for Australia and everything. So it ended up being a massive night. And you're right, we use social media to, to pump that up through Twitter at the time and Facebook. So it can be used for in good situations yeah, as well as yeah. what we sort of see more commonly is the whole trolling and the, the backbiting and the, you know, making issues out of absolutely nothing. Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. And it's sort of um, – I also think, just back on trolls, I think trolls have um, pulled their heads in uh, to a certain extent on Facebook and Twitter. They realise they can't say that sort of stuff. Is it an education thing? Like people being outed and, and being publicly shamed yeah. in many respects yeah. um, that they've realised, okay – actually what sort of seemed like a bit of a, a harmless comment or a throwaway comment or a comment that you would ordinarily use to perhaps m- maybe your mate in the pub mm-hmm. isn't such a great look not in the public domain. Yeah, not appropriate publicly. You know what I see, though, with trolls at the moment? I see a lot of, uh, through my work with 7 News Sydney, one of my jobs when I first arrived, we had 30-odd thousand people who were following the Twitter account, which I thought was quite light on for a for a, a news brand like 7 News. It's now at about 220,000, 18 months on, which is where I want it to be. What The, the people that weren't following the account were the what I call the Q&A or the, the hashtag OzPoll people. So I went in and just went hard trying to strategically get those people to come onto our account because we have great stuff that Mark Riley's pumping out every day at 6 o'clock and yeah, Tim Lester um, out of our Canberra Bureau. What it's brought in, though, is this Ozpol uh, troll, I'll call it. So it's the person who works in and around a minister or it's the person who works in and around uh, a gov- a just federal government politics. Yep. They create this um, Twitter account that's... Um, doesn't have a photograph it might just have some sort of landscape or whatever or just an innocuous biopic the name is not the name it might be mr smith or something and they come in and they will troll people on certain issues whether it's greens or labor or liberal whatever the case may be but they exist and they're quite anonymous um if they get you know inappropriate or out of control what i do and i have to do it from a human resources point of view because i have a couple of people a couple of casuals that help me in social media i just mute the conversation because you don't want them seeing swear words and stuff like that likewise um i also mute uh those um porn 
Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen any of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pornographic Twitter you, accounts. You think you're up. getting 10 new followers and they're just a couple of porno people. Yeah, that's it. No but good. That's, and they're, they're all bots you know, that have been created. And they'll, yeah. they'll do a quote tweet of your tweet and it's some you go to the account and it's some chick with not many clothes on. But I, I just mute those. I, I used to report them, but it's just too much effort. I'm not working for Twitter. I work for 7 News. Yeah. So I just mute them. I let Twitter you know, sort out so, the bots. what does mute... Do, do, do as opposed to blocking someone and reporting. Yeah, so what, what Mute does, they can still tweet you, they can still engage with you, they can reply or whatever, but I never see you it. You never see it. Yeah, that's it. whereby a, a blocking is a little bit more polarising because it, take it away from the fact that I'm, you're dealing with a bot, but if you're dealing with a real person, which Gus Wallen uh, quite publicly on the Triple M Grill team, he talks about blocking NRL fans that don't like the Roosters or whatever all the you time. You can actually see that somebody's blocked you. Yeah, that's exactly right, and that's polarising, you know, like that just is inflammatory. By the way, how's your blue tick going with um, Twitter? How'd you score that? My well, blue tick, some bloke who used to be in charge of, I don't know, social media in, in, at Triple M back in the day, while I was on holidays in Vanuatu, managed to just get one of my old email addresses as well as my current work email addresses and set me up with a blue tick. <laughs> I don't know, he might have been a bald chap who was a uh, former NRL touch judge uh, but managed to set it up for the entire newsroom when not many people have them and now they're commonplace so you just sort of blend in with the crowd now. You know what happened though? Uh, Trevor Long, who was working at SBS, he was the first person in Australia to connect with Twitter to organise media outlets or high-profile brands, particularly SBS and himself, to have a blue tick and um, I thought, well, We've got to catch up on this. Like this is just ridiculous. At the time, Twitter Australia wasn't hadn't established. So you're dealing with someone in San Francisco. So I just emailed their Twitter support, and they said, "Send us the details. We'll get it sorted." And um, we were the first uh, radio brand in Australia. Yes. In fact, the first brand apart from SBS to be uh, you know verified in Australia. So we had a lot of our reporters and our on-air presenters all blue tick verified. We had all our brands, you know, different shows on Triple M. It used to be quite an important thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. <laughs> It still is. It, from a from a, a search point of view on Twitter, it is. Like if I say you're at the SCG on the weekend, if I search for a photo from that game at the SCG or whatever, because you have a blue tick and you put the photo up, it'll pop up high in the the Twitter feed. Yes. So like, how many followers have you got now? What's oh, about a thousand? Yeah, I should have more. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I started off with a hundred, so yeah, you know, yeah, I was yeah. quite happy with that. I think just being on board that and being, having that knowledge, whereas a whole lot of people profess to know a lot, a whole lot about social media that, yeah. that don't. Are you always educating yourself in, in that regard? 100%. I'll tell you what. So I work at 7 News. I do social media. Thoroughly enjoy it. I work with some highly professional reporters, highly professional producers, cameramen. So they, they're producing high-quality content. I saw this as an opportunity when I arrived at 7 News to go, wow, this high-quality content needs to be exposed to a much larger audience. So at the time, I was using Facebook and Twitter mostly to showcase 7 News uh, through you know clips or stills or whatever, or the chopper might be up, so let's put this video up. Um, and we managed to build, like, the Facebook page went from 130,000 when I was there. We're now just over 900,000. That's all within about 18 months. Um, we managed to, yeah, as I said earlier on, build a Twitter account as well from 30,000 to 200-odd thousand. Um, and it's... What's the strategy behind that? The strategy what do you do? behind it is we want you to watch the news at 6 o'clock. We want you to think that 7 News is a trusted brand. Um, we want you to think... The other strategy too, which we don't talk about publicly too much, although I did earlier in the podcast, is if you see, if you're a witness of a, a story as it happens or a, an incident, we'd love you to send us the video or the photo 
In fact, to tell you the truth, the other day there was a fire on the Harbour Ridge um, and I've got the, the Facebook page in a position now that if there is a massive incident like that that happens in Sydney in, a, in what I would call a high-profile location on the bridge, so you've got trains and buses going past and cars, people walking past as well, our inbox, without us even doing what they call a call-out, will be hammered with people and witnesses with their videos. And guess what happened? It happened at 5.20pm. At 6 o'clock that night, we had um, video that no other news outlet had at 6 o'clock at night. 9 and 7, we all had the chopper shots because yep. the chopper was up, which was great. We still had other angles and we were able to sometimes you see what they call a jellyfish go through it, so it's first on 7 or whatever, so that other outlets can't use it. But with thanks to our 7 News viewers, we were able to... Um, without doing any call-out, get these people sending us video. Now, what happens is the knock-on effect the next day is that when we're doing an, another package story, which I think it was the six, it might have been the lead story the next night, we, we had already maybe 10 to 20 people who we knew that were witnesses on the, on the, the location. We had a person who was on the bus who tweeted us video. Um, so straight away, it's like, well, let's just pass this, these contacts now onto our producers. It's up to them with their reporter and their camos to hunt them down and get them on the bulletin that night. Nine has slightly caught up on that strategy. They've gone and created their own Nine New Sydney Facebook page. Yep. Got a little bit more serious with that. I think they're doing with all the states as well. Um, they do have a Nine News Australia Facebook account, like we have a Seven News Australia Facebook account. Our Seven News Australia Facebook account is run by... Yahoo 7, which is a totally different company, but is a yep. joint venture with 7. But the perception is that 7 News Australia is 7 News. Um, so we work pretty closely with them in regards to content and things like that. Um, but the strategy behind it is to present 7 News as a reliable um, a reliable news brand in Australia. You, you will see occasionally on our social media we'll try and promote the 6 o'clock news bulletin. So we'll try yep. and get you to tune in at six o'clock we do have bulletins as i said earlier in the podcast and various times throughout the day but it's all about that six o'clock bulletin um but it's also recognizing the fact that okay not everyone's going to be home for six o'clock so here's a snippet of this here's a snippet of that this is what's going to be coming up or Mm -hmm. or and then doing a quick turnaround after it's been on air Mm -hmm. if there's an exclusive on uh, seven at six o'clock that okay within the next ad break you're going to see that story in full on your on your twitter or on your facebook kind of thing so um how important is it is to um, I guess getting your team to be nimble enough in that situation to perform that that quick turnaround given the fact that the consumption for news and anything these days Mm. is shrinking because people just want those what's the most important part what's the bit that I need to know kind of scenario clickbait is out so we saw clickbait go out in about 2013 it was like you know, click here to see this amazing video. So what what we do now, we have a, uh, with 7 News, it's a social media first uh, strategy. So literally it is, we're not going to use our Twitter account or our Facebook account to say click here to see how many people were murdered in Parramatta today. We're actually going to tell you that six people were murdered in Parramatta today on Smith Street. Um, and then it will, might put a link in there if you want more information. You can click on the link and get more info. But we will uh, try and give away two or three paragraphs of the important information that you need. And if you want to click through, you can. I, my, my job is my KPI is not clicks to the website. My KPI is to my boss, my Jason Morrison, who's the news yep. director. And uh, it's about building the brand for seven years. Now, you asked a question earlier on about where I get my influence from. My influences are not from Australia because I find if I look at 
you know, what's going on in Australia. We're, we're all doing the same thing. So if I look at the Sydney Morning Herald Facebook page or Twitter account or Nine News or Ten News or ABC News, then we're all just going around in circles and I'm only doing what they're doing. Same, same. That's right. My inspiration is uh, particularly North America and uh, Europe, particularly uh, UK, just to see what trends are working, uh, what they're doing. I was very fortunate to have been selected uh, for a CNN digital fellowship in May this year. So Channel 7 flew me over to um, Atlanta and I spent a week and a half in Atlanta at CNN headquarters and then went for two or three days into San Francisco and we toured Google and Facebook and stuff like that. Now, while I was there, particularly at CNN, They've got their act together. Um, I was told while I was there that, and I think they're starting to end their recruitment now, spending $20 million employing 200 people for their digital. Now, so that's the thing. Bigger budgets, you know, on the edge of technology. They're probably experimenting with stuff that we haven't even seen yet, working, testing what works and what doesn't, only for you to come in, swoop in and and capitalise on on what they're doing. I'll tell you what it is. Over there, CNN are worried that there are 60-plus pay TV news outlets. You have to subscribe, pay money to watch CNN. They were watching coming up in the younger demos were Politico, Mashable, um, even like your, your Washington Post. Um, uh, who else was there? Um, a number of them. Anyway, these outlets are coming up and they're very young and they're catching the eye of the, the younger millennial and even you know older people with Gen, Gen Y and all sorts of stuff. I thought we've got to be in that space. So they've gone out and they've poached a lot of people from Mashable. And particularly I was, while I was there, I was watching people resign from uh, Mashable in New York saying, it's been a great two years at Mashable. I start with CNN in two weeks' time. And then you'd see the CNN digital director come in and go, hey, great to have you on the team. She'd reply to the tweet. And I'm going, wow, they're going all out here yeah, and employ yeah, some yeah. of the best people. And the things that they, they're doing at Mashable, which they weren't doing at the time at CNN, but they are now doing very well, were what they call the explainers. So you might go, okay, there's a guy from Afghanistan um, who's you know involved in alleged um, terrorism activities or whatever with bombs going off or, or small bombs going off in New York. They give you an explainer that goes for about two minutes and go, who is this guy? What do we know about him? When did he come to America? When did he last go to Afghanistan? And so you can watch that on Facebook or you can watch it on Twitter. Um, some of those, when I was there, their explainers, they would spend anywhere between two days and five days creating good explainers. And the way that they, um, they, they sort of substantiate that cost, so the cost of actually employing yeah. staff to do an explainer, is that that explainer, will, whenever there's a terrorism thing that goes off or they might be caught follow-ups with this guy in New York, they would put that explainer at the top of the CNN.com web story. Yep. You'd have a... Th- 15 to 30 second pre-roll ad at the front so the actual money they get from the pre-roll ad on the explainer on the website pays for the cost of the employees and the production staff involved with that I saw when I was there Snapchat for example with CNN um, I, a person came in for an hour or maybe half an hour and spoke to us about the head of Snapchat at CNN spoke to us how many staff have you got she said we've got six we've got, we only put out one snap a day from memory, it was put out around midday or something like that. And she said, we have a production designer, we have an editor, we have an executive producer. Then we have the PM production designer, the PM, blah, blah, blah. So if you get a chance, have a look at CNN on Snapchat. Now, the other thing with CNN, because it's such a massive uh, news brand, anyone who is a startup and they want to start their social media channel, they're knocking on the door of CNN saying, we want your news brand available on our new social media site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because it gives them 
instant. That's right, exactly. Yeah, so credibility. the people who were coming in and talking to us in our during our fellowship, they were on the forefront of all the new ideas that have been throwing up the flagpole at Silicon Valley. People knocking on the door like, you know, can you come and um, you know get involved with our social media? Even when I was there, um, the Facebook Live was... In fact, Facebook Live's been around for 12 months, particularly with brands and high-profile celebrities. But when I was there in May, six months on, seven months on, CNN were going to the field and getting their reporters to do Facebook Live in overseas, inside America or wherever, yeah. and give you the behind-the-scenes on a story they're chasing. But there was a, a thing that was sort of dropped in the meeting. They said, oh, we, our agreement with um, Facebook is we have to do 300 minutes of Facebook Live uh, every week. And I stopped and said, what, 300 minutes? What, you, what ag- agreement? What agreement? Oh, yeah. We, we, they pay for us to do the Facebook Lives. Wow. It didn't come out until about two or three months after I was there. I thought, I'll sit on that. Because if I tell my boss, I'm doing Facebook Lives at 7 News Sydney, he'll go, that's all well and good, but are Facebook paying us for it? Yeah, yeah, And, yeah, um, yeah it can, it's since come out that a lot of outlets, Facebook were paying, um, had substantial contracts worth over millions of dollars to do Facebook Live. To get it quieter yeah. up, to promote it. To promote Facebook Live. And yeah. you look at it now, you know, you go to your Facebook news feed now. And you oh, see mate, it's any, every Tom, Dick and Harry's <laughs> Using it at every available opportunity, yeah. and it's and you know it's, we use it at Seven News Sydney. It's very powerful. Uh, we use it at all our Seven News accounts in uh, Brisbane, Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth. Use it as well. Um, Sunday night, I've done some great stuff in the last couple of weeks. Sort of on a Friday, trying to you know create noise for their Sunday night show yep. coming up. Some Q and A's, things like that. So it's essentially, ads that you don't have to pay for. Nah, that's exactly right. Yeah, but you've got to be good at it. This is the other thing too: is Facebook. If you don't do your content right or your post right, they'll penalise you and go, smash you with the algorithm. Yeah, that's right. And you go, ah, oh, it didn't work. <laughs> but um, you know, I'm very lucky in that I've got a lot of good content that I can post. Um, so we don't actually have um, a situation where um, we get lost too often in the, the Facebook news feed. So we're very lucky. My goal on that Seven News account, Seven News Sydney account, is just to be hyper local Sydney. So people in Sydney still want to know about a, a bombing or whatever that might go off in New York, but they also still want to know about uh, Parramatta Road and Falls blocked eastbound. Oh, you know, and if there's a sudden sort of storm or something, you yeah. know, that sort of that's instant sort of yeah. gratification in terms of the audience that you've got who are these days constantly on their Facebook, yeah. on their phone, on their smartphones, and, you know, you get that notification straight away, oh, Seven News is live with yeah. such an event happening yeah. wherever it might be. Oh, you might have a look at that, and all yeah. of a sudden, I'm sure you sort of see the eyeballs just gradually climbing yeah, as, as right. it sort of you get 20, 30 seconds into yeah. a particular event. Yeah, massive. And and um, we've had some incidents recently where I've used Facebook Live to, for, particularly for state politics, um, where there might be situations where I remember Robert Avardi going anywhere on a Friday night about two weeks ago, and he said, "Oh, the the health minister is going to release this report into the uh, Lidcombe Bankstown Hospital." gas mix up on a Saturday afternoon because traditionally on a Saturday afternoon it's a slow news day and people Correct. generally don't consume news. So I thought okay I'm going to work on a Saturday then I'm going to wait for this media alert to come out and I'm actually going to go with our 7 News cameraman and reporter and I'll actually broadcast it live on Facebook Live and put it up on Twitter Periscope and uh, they've given us some of our best numbers. The, the best numbers we've had on Twitter Periscope happened last week ever. This is I think possibly number one for the whole 7 Network was um, Eddie Hasten who uh, yes. held a uh, press conference with his publicist, high-profile publicist, Max Markson. And um, I just went in there and broadcasted live on Twitter and Facebook. And the I'll just give you an example of the numbers. Um, 
on a per capita basis, more people watched it on Periscope than what watched it on the Seven News YouTube or Facebook accounts. Yeah, I think have we finished? Yeah, we're finished here. Cleaning we're just, the table. Uh, having our table cleared <laughs> as we, we go along here. But three thousand yeah, from thanks. memory it was like three thousand seven hundred people watched Eddie Hayson on Twitter. Actually watched it. When normally I'd get Anywhere between 700 or 1,000 views. Yep. Oh, I'm still going to finish that. Yeah, I'll yeah, finish it. Yeah. Still eating his pizza. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and, and I don't know what that says about Eddie Hayson or what it says about the interest in Eddie Hayson on, on Twitter, but it was most it was just out of control. But it's also very much about not just being around your TV anymore. Yeah, yeah. You're hitting people where they are. So they can pull it up while they're waiting for a, for a bus. They yeah. can pull it up while they're sitting in the park you know, uh, playing with their dog. They can pull it up while they're watching their kids at swimming. Like, yeah, the yeah. power of that, you're not knowing where people are when that particular notification comes up. I'm sure it's it must be mind-blowing. A big shout-out to Gabby Boyle as well, reporter at Nine News. I just turn up and I start um, going live for Facebook and Twitter, and I specifically remember on two occasions, three occasions actually, but Gabby Ball didn't know who I was or what I was doing. Because I always turn up. I never introduce myself. I just go live. You're just loitering in the background. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm, I'm there to promote Seven News. You know, I'm not there really to friggin' to make, make friends. friends. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And um, I remember uh, Gabby Boy was doing a piece to camera for a Six O'Clock Bulletin. It was a young child, unfortunately, hit by a car, died in Granville. I just went down and showed the the, the, the incident scene on, uh, on Facebook Live. Did about five minutes of Facebook Live. And she came up. She goes, who are you? And I never responded, because if I respond, you can hear my voice on the Facebook Live, and I'm yes. not a known reporter. There's no one even know who I am. Then she got out of that situation, then a couple of weeks later, there was a shooting, over an early morning shooting at Fairfield. I turn up there, and, and she's she's coming up, you know, breathing down my neck. Who are you? What are you? Did you see the incident? Who are you going live for? What, what are you doing? Again, I didn't respond. And then about a few weeks after that, there was a. Uh, I just stumbled across a, a crime scene that was just being established by the cops in Granville for a, um, uh, a like a theft that, that only happened twenty years beforehand. I just go live on Periscope and Facebook Live, and she's like hovering around. And then she, when I finish, she goes, "Oh hi, I'm uh, Gabby Boyle from Nine News. I'm Brendan, and this is what I'm doing. Oh, I saw you a few weeks ago. You never said hello." And I said, "Well, I couldn't because I'm going live, you know." But um, she's. Um, I think she's she's tough as nails when it comes to trying to get. She's a good girl. She listens to the podcast. So um, <laughs> does she? Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't tell me that. <laughs> yeah. One of the best news reporters in Sydney, uh, yeah. but is uh, now aware of Brendan Wood's stealth approach to news yeah, reporting and is probably right. going to be using it to her own advantage. I, now. Did, I did see her the other day. She's uh, busy in Los Angeles uh, doing the LA reports from over there. So, um, but um, anyway, yeah. So it's look. It's a great gig, loving Seven News Sydney. I am now what you would call a passive listener to radio because I, um, I'm i just a punter when it comes to radio now, and I sort of like that because... I've changed, mate. I've changed yeah. from being having to listen to the radio right. every half an hour for a, for a news update yeah. to just being complete podcast. So yeah. it's yeah. like my Netflix mm-hmm. for driving around in the car, mate, yeah. like... Yeah. I'll just listen to podcasts now after podcast to find my interest and then switch on and listen yeah. to what I need. Unless there's something I know is breaking or whatever, mate, yeah, rarely right. will I listen to it. And we, we sort of discussed this before coming on today. It's the same with newspapers. I pick yeah. up the paper and it's all yesterday's news, whereas I've got my news on Twitter and Facebook and that yeah. the day before. And as I said before, rarely now with a, a three-year-old 
uh, in that crazy moments of, of bath and, and, and dinner time, do I sit down and watch the 6 o'clock news? Because no. I've already seen it through all the yep. Facebook um, channels and yep. every, all the news I already need mm-hmm. is via Twitter and, and mm. Facebook. So I don't sit there for that mass consumption of news like we did when Brian told us yeah, 25 right. years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'll say this as well, like... Because I'm so far off the radar with radio at the moment, I, I sort of enjoy it from a marketing point of view to see who actually gets my attention, whether it's through a billboard or whether it's in my Facebook news feed. I'm talking about a radio show 100%. here. Or who's in my Twitter feed or whatever. And I will say this, the Kyle and Jackie O show pops up in my Facebook feed occasionally. Um, who else have I seen recently? I, I do know that ABC Grandstand has popped up with, um, it might have been you, I don't know, but talking about you know yep. interviews coming up on various shows or whatever. I, I haven't listened to ABC Grandstand uh, this year much, but I do know that they've had some pretty good interviews recently, and if I want to go listen to them, I might go online later on and check them out. Um, but, yeah, I, I think um, the social channels are a great way to promote your brand and, and tell people what's going on. I've got to do a presentation in about three weeks' time to a whole bunch of marketing people and they're selling tickets to it or something. And I haven't actually done a presentation publicly about my time at Seven News, but the um, I'll just tell you what it's called. But the general theme of what I'm going to talk about is that I think here in Australia, marketing people and CEOs of big companies underestimate the power of social media. Like they just think, oh, I'll just get the young kid in the corner to do social media. And it's like, no, nah, it's, it's, it's a well, lot Well, there's, there's a whole old school principles that you need there as well, like in terms of being timely being accurate, yep. all of those things that where if you get a young kid straight out of school, you know, while they may have grown up in the, the social media mm-hmm. sphere over the last 10 years, mm-hmm. they don't have that worldliness about them to know, okay, this is going to defame someone. <laughs> this is going yeah. to potentially destroy the brand's reputation. You've yeah. still got to have that, uh, like I say, that old school Nows about you in terms of okay, you know something that's going to work, but it's also how you present it and yeah. how you push it out there. Because once it's public, that's it. It's public, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and people are too eager these days to also shoot down mistakes. And those mistakes, from a brand point of view, whether it be a spelling mistake or, like I said before, a legal issue, yeah. someone it takes them two and a half seconds to screenshot it and then it's out there and then at the same time as quickly as you've spread it to a wide audience the mistake or the fuck up gets spread just as quickly as well well we saw there was one the other day nine news up in queensland said police say blah blah about this incident qps came back and said we never said that yeah and then obviously nine news deleted the tweet but it's too late then it's screenshot by somebody and it gets retweeted it goes bigger to the audience than would have ever gone to from the original tweet that nine news did and you sort of feel sorry for those guys but uh, yeah, these are the things I'm going to talk about at this uh, event. I'll just tell you. The title is uh, What We Learnt by Publishing 400 Posts a Week on the 7 News Sydney Facebook page. And then the, the bullet points they want me to talk about is how does 7 News use social media to market our nightly news bullet, which I've told you today in yeah. this podcast. How does 7 News use social media to encourage viewers to send us witness video, which I've told you. And um, what we notice that the Facebook algorithm is doing this week. So what, I want to show you something here, though. Can you open up? Facebook Pages Manager app. Yeah. We're going to do a Facebook Live of the final few minutes of this podcast. And I reckon on your, what's it called, Media Mates Facebook page, this will be your biggest Facebook post that you have ever done on this page. All right. So what am I opening up? Okay. So what you're going to do is you're going to hit publish. Oh, okay. Hang on. 
I gotta open up my media mates media one, mates, not my yeah, ABC yeah. grandstand one. Uh, uh, <laughs> go down well. Yeah. So I'll uh, open up media mates yeah, and publish. Mate, publish. Yep. And then just put a location because I think people are sort of interested. No, 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 go down the bottom there, bottom right. Yeah. Click on location and just click the hotel. We're in a pub, by the way. Yeah. We'd like uh, going to a you'll, pub. You'll so a check in. Yeah, check in. This is this helps as well. Right, we're on a, you, want, you want to go? Yes. Turn, turn on, on your location. location. Oh mate, this is live tutorial going on yeah. here on this. Uh, a lot podcast. of people should be using this though for their yeah. um, for allow whatever, access. Yep, whatever. Okay, search. In. So Royal is Exhibition Hotel. Great, lovely. There we go. Now click. Good promotion for the pub. <laughs> now wait, let me have a look at where you're at at the moment. Yeah, uh, drinking beer. No, oh no, d- you don't, just hit skip. You don't have to worry about telling him what you're doing here at the pub. No. All right. Um, and then you're going to hit the the live button there, that red round button. Yep. Yep. Click that. Go live or whatever. Now, live video. Yeah, live video. Hit OK. You want to access your yep. microphone and your camera and all that. Yeah. And then you're going to show you and I. I want to flip us around. So this is me here. We yep. want to look more at Brendan because he's the guest. No, so you don't want to do that. Here at the thing. Are you live yet? I am. Hang on. I'm just going to describe my video. Then I'm going to hit live. <laughs> okay. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, you can. You can write that. Just say, recording a podcast now or something. Episode you know? 39. Yeah. So the... This is a great way to promote a business. And I, if I was working with anyone right now, like I, I'll tell you now, I was talking to a local bloke at the chicken shop the other day. He said, how can I use social media to promote my local, local business? Brandon Wood, go live, business. okay. Go live. And just make sure the original shot, you've got to make sure it's a good shot. So yep. be the subject matter, which is me. As soon as you'd go live, it gives you a three-second warning. And there we go. Now we are live on a uh, Facebook Live on the Media Mates Facebook page. So this is our episode 39, which we've had six weeks off, but we're now going episode 39 with Brendan Wood, who's worked at more radio stations than the Deltones of work concerts. But um, we're going to have this, and this is going to be part of the podcast. So next Wednesday, when I officially release it, you will see the fact that Brendan Wood is now live with Brendan Wood, uh, showing <laughs> Brendan Wood, which is freaking me out a little bit. But at the end of this podcast, we're going to be talking about Brendan's advice that he's going to give oh, am I? to okay, anyone right. that he's looking to break into the media. Okay, so yes, what yes, would okay. you say, having traversed radio, mm. having traversed a little bit of TV, but more, most notably now, in the social media space? Yeah, so this okay. is a little bit of experiment here right. based on what Brendan's research has done for my little podcast yeah. when he appears next Wednesday. Right, okay. And just the other thing too with Facebook Live, you have to keep it going for as long as possible. The longer you go, the more, you know, the more people you have coming and viewing. Now, my advice to people, because I'm, I'm seeing, uh, and I've always enjoyed watching, um, you know, people in their early 20s arrive in media and take it on board. I always say to them, whether it's in the job I'm doing now for seven years or whether it's in the, the job that jobs that I've done uh, in TV, I always say you've got to have a great attitude. Be willing to work outside the square, outside the hours that you're given. You've got to, you've got to uh, embrace all the opportunities and you just can't be average. You've got to be excellent. Um, otherwise, you'll get left behind. Um, if I was going to start out now in radio, I don't think I'd have to do what I had to do, which was go to regional radio and uh, come back to the capital city. You might be able to just start off driving Black Thunders around, for example, or starting off as an intern like Hugh, Hugh uh, did, uh, who we heard the other day on one of your podcasts. Uh, start in the newsroom uh, and work your way up through there, or it could maybe sometimes get you a Fifi box. Who I know she did start in regional radio, but she was she came into radio as a producer, and now she's on the air. So sometimes you can learn from the best by just being in and around Capital City Radio. 
uh, from a TV point of view, it's really interesting. I've only been there, you know, just over 18 months now and I get a chance yeah. to, to watch people arriving. Um, a lot of people want to be on air. Some people just want to be really good producers. And, it, again, it's the same sort of attitude. If you can sort of get an internship happening, um, which I know has been the theme. And a lot of these podcasts that you've been doing, Ralph, if you can do a, you know, um, uh, an internship inside a media outlet, they can see your atti- how you've got a good attitude and possibly uh, look at employing you casually and then moving up through the ranks. But um, How important is learning as you go as well? Hugely important. I, I never... Um, I never went to university. I learned on the on the job. I think a lot of people in radio have learned on the job. Uh, I did hear Trevor Long on one of your podcasts recently talking about trying to get into afters, and I too, at the age of eighteen, applied to get into afters, and they, for whatever reason, didn't choose me. I would love it if loved it would have loved it if they had have choose, chosen me, but they didn't. Um, and someone like Trevor Long, who's got a great attitude and everything, instead he had to fight, you know, through the ranks uh, to to get to where he is by learning on the job. Um, but I think on the job training is the best you can ever you can ever get. So you can never um, ditch out on on the job training as opposed to sometimes yeah you speak to journalists and they go to university and um, sometimes they hear too much from lawyers so they they arrive uh, with a very very low risk um, sort of strategy to their their job in a newsroom or whatever. Brendan Wood, thanks very much for your time. Wait on, there, don't oh, hang on, up. stand no, by. Show people around because I reckon you're going to build an audience now. Let me have a look here. Show, show people around you. They don't want to just... You want right. to, you want so to show here we them. are at the Exhibition Hotel. I initially used to do the podcast just in the safety of my own home or the other person's uh, premises, but now I've become a little bit more adventurous and I've decided to uh, take it out and about. And as Brendan finishes his pizza that... It's probably cold now after sitting there for an hour and he's getting stuck into that as we have about four or five people tune into the live broadcast. See, there we go. Brendan Wood, whose story is coming up on episode 39 of Media Mates. And as I said earlier in the, um, in the podcast, he has covered a whole lot more ground and I thought that I used to be pretty well connected with my 21 years of media experience Brendan's got me well and truly covered with his uh, experience that had gone across the country, and he knows everybody. I thought I knew everyone. Talk it he up, Ralph. Everyone. Talk it up, Ralph. <laughs> just um, people want to see you. So you, up the top right-hand corner, you should be able to turn it back into oh, selfie mode. People don't want to see yeah, me. I, I like yeah. the uh, the fact that I ask the questions and am rarely seen. So I will flip it around. Yeah. My, casual attire for a uh, Wednesday afternoon. I'm known as the unmade bed and I'm very much looking like that. And if you look at the roof here <laughs> um, I've been leaked upon for the last hour and my pants are soaking wet. Um, not really a great advertisement for the um, exhibition hotel and their plumbing services. So I'm going to wrap it up in a second and we're going to go back to Brendan Wood. So here we are who's promoting my podcast yeah. via Facebook Live. We're, we're watching um, your Facebook Live on, yes. my, on my account. <laughs> there we go. There you it's, go. Uh, Look, Ralphie. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing too about lighting, because the light's coming from that way, that direction, you're not going to see my face that well. Mm. So okay. I, I should, uh, I don't know. No, this is a whole lot of gibberish that has been going on for the last couple of minutes, but it's more an, uh, an experimentation of the fact that 
we're showing people how to promote within your own Facebook and also promoting the fact that I'm doing a podcast as we speak, which you'll hear next week when it's released. All right, I'm going to wrap this up now. Thank you, Ralph. It's been good coming here. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us on the Media Mates podcast, Brendan. No worries at all. Great to be here. I'm going to throw this up on my Twitter account later on a little video. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you, Ralph. There he is, Brendan Wood from Channel 7. If you really enjoyed my chat today with Brendan, please let him know by sending him a tweet. He's at Brendan Wood. He's also at Brendan Wood 2, T-W-O. I'm not sure why he has two Twitter accounts. He just does. If you can't get enough wood, you can always go for some more wood. You can follow us on Twitter, which is at MediaMatesAU. Check out the Facebook page. Most importantly, if you could subscribe in iTunes, that'd be great. It means you won't miss an episode while you're there. Leave a rating or review. That way, more people will learn about the show. And we definitely want more people to learn about the show. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the Media Mates Podcast. Media Mates Podcast. Podcast.